0: Well, once again, good morning, and thank you so much for being with us here at Bell Shoals. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here, and uh, we are walking verse by verse through uh, the book of Philippians, and so if you have a copy of God's Word with you, go ahead and turn with me uh, to Philippians chapter 2. We'll start Philippians chapter 2 today, and uh, so go ahead and meet me there. For those of you joining us online, so great to have you with us wherever you're, uh, worshiping with us from uh, all across the country and even places around the world. We're so uh, honored that you would worship with us today. And uh, if you're new to Bell Shoals, or uh, maybe this is just your second or third week here, um, I made actually one of the most controversial statements of my ministry a couple of months ago when I declared the truth. And, and my job is to declare the truth, whether people like it or not. I declared the truth that Pepsi is better than Coke. And uh, <laughs> Man, if you weren't here, it was a thing. And over the next couple of weeks, I can't even tell you how many cans of Coke i received in my office, (laughs) Um, a bunch. Uh, Some of them came with anonymous letters. I received emails and uh, it was a thing. If you weren't here, it was a thing. And so I took all those cans of Coke that i received and took them outside and burned them and no, it, 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 it was a thing. And so I, I've been thinking, okay, because that kind of wrecked me. I, I thought, wow, how else could I offend our faith family? And so I thought I might as well go all in, okay, because I still believe Pepsi's better than Coke. I know there's only like four of us here that believe that, but I believe it deep in my heart. I believe it, okay, I believe it. Let me tell you what else I believe. I think Dunkin' is better than Starbucks. Alright, all right. I'm all about some Dunkin', okay? And you highfalutin' Starbucks people, okay? Y- y'all just get together with your skinny jeans and your toms, all right, and you just keep doing what you do, okay? I, I think Dunkin' is way better than Starbucks. Let me tell you what else I think. I think Cracker Barrel is better than Waffle House. All right. Yeah. I do. I do. Now, the fun thing about a Waffle House is uh, you can treat it like a skating rink in there because the floors are so greasy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of a two for one. But, uh, I, and I get I know I've got friends who just strongly disagree. With me. They're like, Cracker Barrel is just a flea market with food. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. But. Uh, I, I'll take uh, I'll take the Uncle Herschel's uh, any day of the week. Uh, I believe Chick Fil A is kind of pretty much better than everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me some Chick Fil A. I mean, there's a little bit of extra Holy Spirit in every bite. You know what I mean? You don't get that at McDonald's. You don't get that at Taco Bell. All right. Um, I, I just I love me some Chick Fil A. And let me tell you, okay. Now this is a little okay. Pizza, uh, let me tell you what the best pizza in the area, okay? I'm gonna tell you the best pizza in the area because we don't have a lot of like custom pizza stuff. So um, like, you know, I know there's Old Town and there's, of course, there's all your standards, Papa John's and Pizza Hut and all that stuff. But let me tell you the best pizza you'll ever have in the area. It's at the Berry Barn and it's a strawberry pizza, okay? <laughs> you guys, it's strawberry season, all right? And if you've never been to the Berry Barn, head right out on 60 toward Dover. It's on your right. You'll see it because there's angels hovering above it, singing, okay? And if you've never been to the Berry Barn, I'm telling you, it's amazing. They have a strawberry pizza there. It's the best pizza you will ever have. Now, they don't deliver, okay? I don't even know if you can DoorDash dash it, but, but just take your family. It's cloudy today. It's gloomy today. Just head on over to the Berry Barn, and I just want to say you're welcome, okay? So, I don't know where you land on all that. Maybe you don't like strawberries, and if you don't, you are living in the wrong part of the country. Um, Maybe you're a Waffle House person, Starbucks person, and, um, you know, again, if you're new to Belichick, maybe you're like, okay, how in the world could all of these people, you know, at all of our campuses come together every single week, meet, sing, like rally together, go on mission together, serve together? Like how how could all these people, all these backgrounds, all these preferences, right, all these opinions, all of these, uh, you know, unique dynamics in our lives and how we live and where we live and all that, how could we all like do this every single week when there are such strong opinions and frankly, so many wrong opinions? (laughs) Well, Here's, here's, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful things about the church, okay, about the body of Christ. It's that we understand that while we may disagree on secondary matters, we agree on primary matters, you know? And, and, and I think, like, the cool thing, one of the, one of the neatest things about being a part of the family of God is, yeah, you know what? There is going to be disagreement on secondary things. There just is. Like, like, <laughs> no, no, nobody's gonna agree on everything, you know? And, and there's different opinions and there's different preferences. Um, sometimes there are different patterns in the way people live. Um, but, but there is agreement at Bell Shoals, at least, on what we consider to be primary. Let, let me say it this way. There, there may be disagreement on matters that are temporal. There is no disagreement around here on matters that are eternal. And that's what unites us, right? Like that's that's what unites us. And that's true around the world. You know, I mean, I've been to different places around the world and worship with fellow Christ followers around the world with literally people and cultures and contexts that could not be more radically different than what we know and experience every single day. But there is just something about being connected with people who have the same eternal values. And I've, I've talked to people, frankly, who are closer with their family in Christ than they are their biological family because of some maybe situations where their biological families don't share the same eternal values. And, and so in a very real way, what we do and what we are a part of here is special and it's unique. And every single week we gather for worship and every single mission trip that, that we go on and um, ev- every single effort that we support financially with our giving and our generosity and you know everything that we're a part of here in our local community, it, it really is a way of bringing glory to Jesus because... We don't say this, right? We don't put this on a T-shirt, but it's true. Like, like we're a people rallying together over eternal agreement. And, and it's just, it, you can't help but to glorify God in this that all, all of us, right, in our giving and our serving and our going and in, in our local uh, effort here, like, every time we do something together, like, we are declaring to our community that there is something that unites us that is bigger than us and it's bigger than coffee and pizza and sandwiches, and it's, it's bigger than just our preferences and what we like. like. We all sacrifice from time to time our own preferences and the way we would do things and structure things because we believe with all of our hearts That Jesus is Lord and that by his grace and mercy, he's brought us into a relationship with himself and therefore, we are a people who are committed to honoring him and glorifying him and serving him with all of our lives because we believe that one day we will spend eternity with him. You know what I mean? And that's, like, that's special. That's special. And I just want you to understand today that our world does not work this way. I don't have to remind you of this like where you work and where you live and in your HOA, it doesn't work this way. Have you ever looked at your HOA social media pages? <laughs> I mean, the world doesn't work this way. This is not normal, okay? Like, like I think social media exacerbates this the selfishness that naturally exists in us, that is overcome in the gospel. Like, like social media gives people a platform and an avenue to find other people that agree with them and to make their voices louder and stronger. And social media has enabled all of these people who live in their parents' basements to find each other and to be loud together and vocal and strong. And it's like we live in this day and age now where anybody can have an opinion and anybody can publicize it and anybody can get a response and anybody can get a reaction. And, and, and uh, we don't live in a very united society. We live in a world now that's much different than the world I grew up in where everybody can have opinion, everybody can have a preference, everybody can have um, you know, uh, a, a strong a statement, uh, a strong like like, like conviction and, and just expect that everybody's gonna go along with it. And like when I, the world I grew up in, like you could have a strong opinion or a strong preference or something like that, but nobody cared. And now you can communicate this stuff out to thousands of people or more to the extent that our world is more selfish today than ever before. Like, we are more at the center of our lives in the, in the world in which we live today than at any point in human history. Okay, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I was, when I was growing up, okay, and I, this is not get off my lawn, I'm just trying to point out some, some disturbing trends in our society. I'm just saying, when I say when I'm growing up, what I mean is, okay, I just, I'm saying in a short span of human history, not 200 years ago, 20 years ago, if I were to take a Kodak disposable camera, which some of you don't even know what that is, and I were to turn it around and take pictures of myself holding my Duncan, take it to Walgreens, get the prints, put them in a frame, and put it on my desk, people would have described me as being a narcissist. But today if instead of printing off that picture and putting it on my desk, I post it to the thousands upon thousands of people that follow me on social media, I would be called an influencer. And what our society is enabling and even encouraging is a form of narcissism whereby we are at the center of our lives. And we bought into the lie that other people care what we are eating and drinking. You know what I mean? I mean, I could get some likes. And people are nice, like, oh, that's cool, they like it. And then secretly they're like, this weirdo keeps posting Duncan pictures, you know what I mean? And Um, here's a newsflash for you. Social media is not real. I think literally I may know 2% of the people that are connected with me on social media. The rest of it is a farce. And there are people today building platforms and profiles. I'm not against social media, by the way. I understand it can be a meaningful way to connect, but I just, I also understand the danger of it for I'm talking a lot of people where it's more than just a way to connect with people that you actually know and care about. It's it's a way now of building a community and to receive some attention and to express your opinions and all that in a way that's not real. Because when you become an influencer, you're influencing people that you don't know and that don't know you. It's not real, right? And, and I just feel like we've, we've, we've cultivated, we're cultivating a society where we, to the largest extent in human history, are at the center of our own lives, and this can impact what you and I know as the church, as the family of God, as followers of Jesus, to the extent that when we walk into various rooms together, we can carry into those rooms the same type of narcissism, or excuse me, influencing that we see in the, in the culture. So that our opinions, our preferences, our desires, right, like that's what should matter most. And you say, I don't know if we'd ever see that in the church. Well, um, well, we saw it in the church with this little thing called COVID. And I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the church. I'm, and I know you saw it in your business and I know you saw it um, in, in, in your community. I know, man, COVID, people lost their minds in COVID. People were nasty, ugly, divisive, and, and I know you're like, well, pastor, that was everywhere. No, that's my point. What happens in the world should never be reflected and emulated in the church, right? It should, not, it should not come in here. But it did. And I'm not complaining, right? But I mean, I'm just saying, we had volunteers every single week accosted by believers for policies that I was responsible for, and to be honest with you, you know i was hoping we're the right policies cuz i didn't have a class on global pandemic management in college <laughs> or grad school so i can say this now i wouldn't have said it then then i was confident that we what we were doing was best but to be honest with you i really didn't know <laughs> because none of us knew and we were doing the very best we could and i mean people lost their minds believers lost their minds like like in this room, in all of our like, on, across the country, right? Like, like this just happened every week. Like, people accosted, like, like I mean, nasty, divisive. Like, people lost their minds, right? And literally I saved emails because I just go back and laugh. Like literally one email will come in. You are a moron. You're so stupid. How could you be so dumb, right? COVID doesn't exist. It's all a political thing. And people are like, we should be meeting every week and we should be hugging each other. And the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And we should be making out with fellow believers every week because germs don't exist in Jesus' name. And I'm not making this up. And then the next email would come in. You are a moron. And I hate you because we shouldn't be six feet apart. We should be 60 feet apart. And we shouldn't be meeting. And you're nuts. And what in the world is wrong with you? And then I'm like, okay, well, I I don't even know what to do with that. How do we get two people this far apart together? And the answer is you don't. (laughs) You just respond, thank you so much you sound like a very pleasant person. <laughs> so, listen, I'm not saying we don't ever disagree. I'm not saying we don't ever have like helpful, hard conversations. I'm not, but, but, but actually, Jesus gave us a godly, healthy, unifying way of doing that. What I'm saying today is, if you're wondering, how do all these people come together every week and do what they do with their generosity and their service and their mission trips and their community engaged? And how does this happen, right, with all these different opinions and preferences? How do we do this? Man, it's, um, it's because we elevate the eternal over the temporal. But I, I think the past couple of years, and I think if you look at just our culture and the inward focus that so many people now have, my, my point with the COVID thing is just, this takes intentionality. We just have to constantly be drifting intentionally toward unity, toward valuing eternal priorities over temporal ones, toward forgiveness, toward grace, toward kind. Like we have to intentionally go that direction because we don't naturally go that direction. Let me show you something Paul said when he wrote to Timothy toward the end of his life. I just, man, to me, this is sobering. Here's what Paul said. Okay, this isn't in Philippians, I'll get there, but let me just show you this. He said, know this, hard times will come in the last days. By the way, we're in the last days. And then would you just look at what Paul says here? For people will be lovers of self Lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Can I just let that sink in for a moment? Paul said people will be lovers of self in the last days. That feels a little bit like the day and time in which we live, does it not? So here's what's so cool about Philippians, okay? Paul brings some encouragement of how we navigate this. The temptation that all of us have to love ourselves more than others, the temptation we have even as believers at times to elevate the secondary over the primary, to elevate the temporal over the eternal. And and I think this has implications for not just our faith family, but, but our households. Because you Do you want to know a surefire way to live in misery? Live for yourself. Do you want to know how to tank your marriage? Live for yourself. You want to know how to be a horrible parent and raise children who are dysfunctional? Live for yourself. And our society's like, no, no, no. Live for yourself. Post for yourself. Like, buy for yourself. Spend for yourself. Like, like it's all about you and what what you think and what feeds your insecurity and 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 accumulating a community, even if it 's not even a real community, who affirm your opinions and preferences and no 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 that's what it and, and 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 I just want you to understand this is why we have so many people today who are so miserable because when you live for yourself and you you marriage for yourself and you parent for yourself and you work for yourself, what you soon discover is that you're never going to be happy. And I believe with all of my heart like if you want to experience God's best not just in our faith family but in your family, in your work, right? With your marriage and your children, then here's what this means, okay? Like like then you've got to learn to live for others. You've gotta learn, right, to navigate people who have different opinions and different preferences and a different way of doing things. And you've gotta learn to navigate life and people in such a way that you elevate the eternal over the temporal and you live for them and not for yourself. And and you see yourself as a conduit of blessing, not a means to an end of yourself, right? Because because if you're always focused on yourself, you, you can't live for others and that creates division. So, so here's what Paul's doing in Philippians 2, right? Like he's writing to these people who love him, care for him or concern for him. And as, and as, as we've seen in, this, in the opening chapter, like, like he's giving a personal update on how he's doing. He just wants to reassure them, I'm doing okay. Like, yeah, I'm in prison, but I'm okay. And God's used what's happened to me as a means of advancing the gospel. And we talked about these, these, these brush strokes on the canvas of Paul's life, some of which did not look very good and you wouldn't understand them in the small sections in which they were painted on the canvas. Canvas of his life, but when you zoom out, you see that God's painting a beautiful picture with him. And, and so we've talked through all of that. And now in Philippians 2, we're gonna take a turn where Paul, in essence, is now responding to what Epaphroditus, this man who traveled to see him, has communicated to him about what's happening in Philippi. And here's one of the things that's happening in Philippi: they've got some people in the church who can't get along. Now buckle up, because in a couple of weeks, Paul's gonna call them out by name. And so I felt like it'd be good for me to do that. So I'm putting a list together. And I'm gonna, no. (laughs) But uh, listen, we're gonna see in a couple. We're like, Paul, this is serious. And one, like the church is going great and we've already seen how much he loves them and they love it. It's been very positive and this is positive today. But Paul's gonna lovingly address kind of one of the issues he's learned about that some of these people are having a hard time getting along. And there's some division there. And so he's gonna write to them, we'll see it here now. And in essence, he's just gonna talk to them about, hey, here's here's what would mean the most to me. You're concerned about me, I'm fine. Chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard, but God's using it. Sitting here under house arrest, God's using it. Been beaten and shipwrecked, God's using it. I'm okay. If you really wanna know what would encourage me, let me, let me break it down for you like this. So let me, look, look in verse one, Philippians two here. Look, look, here's what he says. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who, oh, sorry, I skipped. <laughs> We're not there yet. If then, let's go back to verse one. I got a little excited. All right, let's go back to verse one. So he says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy, you ready for this? This is the only imperative in this entire section. This is the main point. Make my joy complete. You wanna know what you can do for me? You wanna know how to make my joy complete? Here it is. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. (laughs) <laughs> that's a great word. If you're taking notes, let me give you a key takeaway. Okay, this is the main thing we're seeing today, all right? This is what we need to walk out of here pondering this week. Listen, the only way to achieve harmony is to live in humility. Yeah, that's true of the church. Isn't that true of your marriage too? You want harmony in your marriage? Let me tell you how you gotta get there. You better walk in humility. You better consider your spouse as more important than yourself. You better um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. The only way to harmony is to live in humility. You don't get harmony, unity, peace any other way. You don't get it any other way. That, that's why, can I take you to Proverbs 17? That's why in your home, this is your Proverbs 17. Long before the apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians 2, let me show you what Solomon said, Proverbs 17, he says, better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. Isn't this what you want in your household? Right, a society says if you'll just have a bigger house and a nicer car and, and better vacations and more expendable income, you'll be happy. That's a lie. That's no guarantee of happiness. Like, that's gonna make some things easier. It's no guarantee of making things better. And I think if we're all honest, what we would cherish in our marriages and in our families more than anything else is unity, is peace, is harmony, where we love each other and we encourage each other. I mean, to walk into a home every single day where where you and your spouse are engaged and connected and your kids love you and they love each other and there's no fighting and there's no selfishness, right? I mean, how great is that? Can you put a price tag on that? And Solomon said, "Better." This is the word in Hebrew. The Hebrew word is Pepsi. He says, "Better, better for better for you to be drinking, right? Some no." He said, "Better, better, a glass of Pepsi <laughs> than a banquet full of Coke, right? Not that Coke, the drink Coke. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, Coke, Coke, Coke Zero. All right, so." Here's what he's saying. He's like, substitute whatever you want for dry morsel. What he is saying is, you'd be better off, and I think we, if you've been married and you have family, you've been at this for a while, you know this is true. It'd, it'd be better off to have a steady diet of Hot Pockets <laughs> than to come in with a gourmet dinner every night and you and your spouse are at odds and there's tension in the home and the kids are upset and they're just in their rooms on social media or gaming and they never talk to each other or you and there's all this tension and fighting and, Man, who wants to live in that? You say, well, I live in that with a $5 million house. Well, good for you. Wouldn't you rather have a $250,000 house and a whole lot of peace and love and joy and happiness? So I don't know if we can put a price tag on unity. I don't know if we can put a price tag on harmony. I mean, even Solomon, who had infinite wealth, right, said, Man, I'd rather have a steady diet of Hot Pockets than a gourmet meal and a whole lot of strife. Give me the Hot Pockets and harmony. And don't you weird health nuts be sending me an email today, Pastor, you're encouraging people to have Hot Pockets for dinner. No, I'm not, I'm just, this is an illustration, weirdo, okay? (laughs) Just go get your Starbucks and, you know, bother somebody else, all right? I'm not saying eat Hot Pockets. I'm just saying what is better a dry morsel with peace, harmony. Okay, and so I just want you to see, Paul says the same thing. And that's, here's what he says. He said, I love it. This is, here's the command. You want to know the command? This is actual, I mean, this is awesome. Okay, in the original language, the command is literally complete my joy. It's make me happy. Right, they're so worried about him. We've seen this last three weeks. They're so worried about him. He's like, no, you really want to know how to make me happy. This is the command. Complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united with the same spirit, and in humility, considering others better than yourself and living your life in such a way that you're elevating the interest of others above your interests. And if you do that, at Bell Shoals, we will have an unstoppable movement of God. And if you do that in your marriage, you will discover a joy and a depth of love that you've never experienced before. And if you raise your children, not to be selfish and to think that fulfillment comes through a certain number of followers or impressions, but to love each other and you serve their interests, just because you were an athlete doesn't mean they have to be athletes, or you cheer doesn't mean they have to cheer, or they, you, no, 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 just you, you, just, you, 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 you teach them to look after the interests of others and you raise them for what's right and good and best for them. And you'll discover just a harmony, right? This is Paul's across the board. Man, this is, isn't this what our world needs? We're so divided and there's so much bickering and yelling and everybody's got these opinions. They're voicing on social and all this stuff. And then look at what Paul said. Man, you want to know how to make me happy? And cut through that noise and in humility consider others better than yourself and live for the interest of others above your own interest. Don't do anything with selfish ambition, but man, live your life in such a way that you're bettering others. By the way, this is is the last recorded prayer of Jesus that we have before his death. A prayer about harmony. If you're new to the Bible, let me show it to you, John 17. If you're not new to the Bible, let me remind you of this. Like This is what's on the heart of Jesus before he goes to the cross. He says, Father, I pray not only for these like who are with me right here, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters, like those now with me and those who are yet to be members of our family, but I'm praying for all those who are gonna respond to the gospel, right? May they be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus says, here's how the, church is going to impact the world with a united witness. The world's going to see, wait a minute, there's a group of people and they're very very different, different backgrounds, different preferences, like different secondary pursuits, but yet they all seem to come together and they give and they serve and they go and they make a difference here. And man, all these different people come together and boom, like they're making a difference. And the world can't help but to see, you know what, there is a way to live your life in such a way that there is meaning, purpose, and happiness. And it's not living for you. There is, a way to, there is a way to have a marriage that's joyful and loving and fulfilling. There is a way to have a family that's like, wow, like blessed and enjoyable and fulfilling and Jesus is like, okay, Father, this is it, like just oneness, harmony. How does it happen? You gotta live in humility. And then Paul kind of gives us the ultimate trump card. If you're new to church, Jesus, nine times out of 10, is the right answer to every question, all right? And so here's, here's the question. Man, how do we get to a place where we live in this humility? The answer is Jesus. And let me show you one of the most amazing little sections in all the Bible, beginning in verse five. But I want you to understand as I'm reading this, listen to me. The the theology contained in here about Jesus, okay, is only illustrative of the main point, which is harmony. Are you with me? What Paul's gonna show us here is how do we get to a place of harmony? Well, you have to live in humility, there's no other way. You can't live for yourself and live for others. When, when you live for yourself and you're not living for others, that creates division. Paul's like, no, 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 you wanna make me happy? This, this is how you do it. You wanna make me happy? You wanna complete my joy? Man, man, live for others, right? Get rid of your selfish ambition and consider others better than yourself. And here's how you cultivate that humility. you like, boom, right here, Jesus. So he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Follow the example of your Savior. Who? existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or taken advantage of. In other words, Jesus wasn't like just gonna, just, you know, no, no, I'm the son of God. I'm the creator and sustainer of the world. That's who I am. And that's who I'm gonna be, like it or not. No. Instead, look at verse seven, okay? One of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Now, let me just pause there. This is important. That that, that word translated to empty in the original language is kenosis. This is what we talk about in terms of the kenosis passage. A lot of misunderstanding here. A lot of people say, look there, the Bible says Jesus emptied himself of deity. That way he was a normal human being. He was not fully God. That is absolutely not right. Jesus is fully God fully God, 100% God. And this word is not saying that Jesus was less God. We have the appropriate understanding right here in the verse. Paul says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Listen to me very, very carefully. The emptying is not a diminishing of deity, it's an adding of humanity. It's not a subtraction. It's an addition. And you say, well, how does an addition count as an emptying? In this way, Jesus is the king of glory. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He is the sustainer of heaven and earth, and yet he subjected himself to come and die at the hands of those he created. He took on as the king of glory something he didn't have to Humanity, weakness, temptation, even though he never sinned, right? He, he subjected himself to the will of sinful men. And that's what it means that he emptied himself. Not that he was subtracted in terms of deity, it's that he added humanity. He, as the king of glory, that's what Paul says, by taking on the form of a servant subjected himself to mankind now look at verse 8 to this extent by humbling himself becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross the most humiliating form of death in the known world this is what it means that he emptied himself He subjected himself to this willingly. Nobody coerced him to do it. He could have just leaned into the privileges that were his as the son of God and the creator and sustainer of the world. No, 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 Jesus said, no, I'm gonna take on humanity, add it to my deity, and I'm gonna live as a a man so that I can accomplish redemption for people made in my image, right? And Paul says, therefore, so here's the last thing. Therefore God's highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name so at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, right? Every knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now listen, you say how do I get to a place in this fellowship, in my marriage, in my family where I'm moving toward harmony and not individualism and not Selfish ambition, here's how you do it. If you want harmony, you have to live in humility. And here's what that looks like. Paul's like, Jesus is our example, right? It means that we have to be willing to take on the form of a servant, to live as a servant of others so that we elevate the interest of others above our own. And in that, we discover the greatest joy of living. because this is what the king of the universe did for you, dear ones. He subjected himself to weakness, insults, injustice, and ultimately death. And and I know some of you are like, oh man, I would do that, would you? You're like, yeah, I would do that for my family. Yeah, well, you're no hero for doing it for your family. You know who Jesus did all that for? His enemies. Let me ask you a question. This is a little, this is gonna rub some of you the wrong way. And if it does, I'll meet you at Starbucks after church and we can talk about it, all right? Just, I'll be there eventually, keep waiting for me. Okay, all right, because I'll be at Dunkin'. All right, but listen to me. Listen to, feel the tension of this statement. Are you ready? I know you would die for your family. Would you die for an Iranian terrorist? Would you live the next year of your life as a prisoner, humiliated, embarrassed, wrongfully accused, tormented, your name smeared globally, humiliated with every statement and then give your life for someone that hates you? Would you do that? Because I wouldn't. You think I'm giving up my beautiful wife and my wonderful children to have my name drugged through the mud for someone that hates me? I know you would do this for your family. You're no hero for doing it for your family. We would all do it for our families. Jesus did it for his enemies. That's how much he humbled himself. That's how much he loves you. And you're like, well, wait a minute, pastor. I don't know. That seems like a step too far. Okay, one more scripture today, Romans 5. You ready for this? This is gonna rock some of your worlds. Right here, Romans 5. Let me show it to you. Here's what it says. For rarely, for rarely. Do we have Romans 5? Is anybody still back there? They already went to Starbucks. <laughs> They're already halfway there. See, of course all of our media people are Starbucks people. I mean, of course they are. You know, <laughs> they definitely all wear toms back there. All right, we may not have it. So let me just read it to you. Here we go. For rarely, oh, there it is. Halfway there. I can see it. You can't see it. Now you can see it, see? Now watch this. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, maybe someone might consider it. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, your family. Somebody close, yeah, Maybe. Maybe you'd give up your life. You'd endure embarrassment, humiliation. You would endure being wrongfully accused of some things that you didn't do. Maybe, maybe for someone you love. You know, y'all ready for the gospel? But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we've been declared righteous by his blood, Will we be saved through him from wrath? And look at verse 10. Now watch this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more than having been reconciled will we be saved from his life? You ready for the gospel? The gospel is not Jesus came and died for you as a friend. He came and died for you as an enemy. And he endured, this is how he emptied himself. He added humanity and he came to live in this earth so that you could be saved from your sin. He took that wrath upon himself. He took that shame upon himself. He took that guilt upon himself. He took false accusations upon himself. He allowed his name to be drugged through the mud for you, the king of glory, the prince of creation, the sovereign maker of heaven and earth. He did it for you. Because he did not live with selfish ambition. He did not live for himself. No, he considered others' needs before his own, and he laid down his life for those who desperately needed him. That's the gospel. And so if you wanna live a life of harmony, it starts with humility, and you see the demonstration of this humility in Jesus and how he lived his life, how he gave up his life for us, how he emptied himself for us, not by diminishing his deity, but by adding humanity and subjecting himself to horrific persecution and death. But here's the hope that we have, dear ones, all right? Jesus, although he died, Did not stay in that state. No, he rose from the dead. And he conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he conquered hell. And so for all who believe in him now, we can be saved from our sin, redeemed, from right, uh, our selfishness, and then we can know what it means to truly live. This is what Jesus talks about, right? To, to live life to the full. right? We can live, meaning that we can emulate his humility by living for others, living for him, bringing honor to him, serving others, giving generously, right? spending our time, our years, investing in others so that by his grace and his enablement, we can bring others to him right and so that's how we're going to lead in our church and that's how we're going to lead in our homes we're we're going to we're going to lay down right our own selfish ambition and we're going to pick up what it looks like to hold in our minds the interest of others and through humility achieve a harmony that brings glory to Jesus because God glorifies himself through the humble sacrifice and service of his people. And it's ultimately demonstrated in Jesus, who, by the way, came and he lived and he died, subjected himself to these horrors, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and because he served us so faithfully, here's what Paul says, one day he's coming again, not as a servant, but as a king, and he will receive glory, right? Right? he will receive glory because God glorifies the humble. And one day, every knee is gonna bow and every tongue confess this Jesus is Lord. And I don't know who's gonna win this election this year and I'm already tired of it, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you, I have my opinions and my hopes. I hope, I'm praying. But let me tell you something, I don't know. I know this, whatever happens in this world, okay? Jesus is still on his throne and even the most like, like offensive opponents that he has in this world that's seeking to take our country and our world into a place of utter despair and hopelessness, one day, even the most like vile, strong-willed person is gonna bow the need to Jesus and we're going to say he is Lord and we're going to be all right we're going to be all right and so how then should we live I'll tell you how we're going to live we're going to live for him and we're going to keep serving each other loving each other and encouraging each other that's what the author of Hebrews says all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because we need each other, Bell Shoals. We need each other. Weirdness and all. Those of you who are a little weird, we need you. We welcome you here. All right? And if you're sitting there wondering who I might be talking about, it's probably you. Okay, like, amen. We need each other. And so we're gonna give, and we're gonna serve, and we're gonna go, and we're gonna do what we do. Because Jesus is glorified in our unity. He's glorified when we love each other. He's glorified when we serve each other. Paul says, you wanna know how to make me happy? I would say as your pastor, you wanna know how to make me happy? Be of one mind, one spirit. Elevate the interest of others above your own. And embrace the humility that leads to harmony in your family, your marriage in our church, and I'm telling you, man, Jesus will use that. Because what unites us is not the temporal, it's the eternal, amen? And so we're gonna close out today. I'm gonna to encourage you to take your um, your Lord's Supper kit that you received when you came in. Why are we doing the Lord's Supper today? Well, because we have a Savior who humbly served us. And um, it's appropriate today as we contemplate this rich text to. just to weigh this as we, um, as we worship. But let me tell you why else we're doing this today. It's because, Bell Shoals, it's the life, ministry, the shed blood of Jesus that unites us. This right here, not this, this. You with me? Not this, this. What this represents, that's what unites us. And so just peel off the top there. You'll have a little piece of bread. This is an unleavened piece of bread. You know why it's an unleavened piece of bread? Because this is what Jesus did when he met with his disciples. He said, fellas, here we go. You have no idea what's about to happen. I'm going to give up my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. And, uh, man, what you're going to endure is going to be very, very difficult. But let me tell you, boys, here's the deal. We're all in this together. And let me tell you what's going to unite us moving forward, boys, this right here, My body. My life, my sacrifice. Boys, right here, this is what unites unites us right here. And why is it unleavened? Because Jesus is pure, without sin, without fault, without error. No, 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 this is pure. This this represents the, the life and ministry of Jesus, the body broken for us of Jesus. When Jesus met with his disciples, he says, boys, take this bread, this represents my body, my life given for you. Every time you eat of this, you do it in remembrance of me. And then take the cup, and hopefully it opens pretty easily there for you. Jesus then passed a cup. He said, all right, now you're going to take this drink. It's made from grapes. It's uh, the fruit of the vine. You can only make this drink by crushing grapes. And Jesus was communicating that, hey, in the same way that those grapes are crushed to provide this drink for you, my, my body is gonna be crushed so that I can give salvation to you. This is what unites us. This is what brings us together. This is why we do what we do. Jesus said, I'm giving my life for you. This new cup is the covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And let me ask you to stand with me now. And um, I'd like to pray and close out our service here. I'll pray for us and be dismissed, and we'll go out into the world united, encouraged, and uh, and ready to honor King Jesus. So let's pray together. So Father, we just thank you for these moments that are ours to share together to share in the, this supper together. God, we know that this very special moment is one that you modeled for us through Jesus, that we should regularly partake of this bread and drink of this cup to remind ourselves about what is most important in life, what unites us, and Father, what's, uh, what saves us. The sacrificial ministry of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection That's the only way we have hope today. So I just pray that in the days to come, God, no matter what happens in this crazy world we live in, that you'll find us faithful to love one another, to encourage each other, God, to serve each other and to serve others in need, God, to continue to partner together to get the gospel to our community here in West Central Florida and to support our missionaries all around the world. God, we just pray that... um, From now until you call us home or Jesus comes back, that you'll find us faithful, God, elevating always the eternal over the temporal, because we are so excited about spending eternity with you. We thank you for that hope that is ours today, in Jesus' name, amen.